That sound you hear is the gentle slurping of a cup of delicious coffee. Home brewed by none other than the man himself, Chris. Hello, Chris. Hey, Ben. How's that coffee? Much needed. <laughs> <sighs> it is an afternoon on your day off. It is. And we are here for a long form episode. And we will try to keep to a reasonable length for you. It's a big one in our Westerns by the Decade series. It's called The Wild Bunch. The Popstorian Podcast with Chris and Ben. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Greatest crash in the history of the New York Stock Exchange. And a date which will live in infamy. Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. What are you supposed to do when you see the flash? Duck and cover. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Well, I'm not a crook. Might have gotten away with it, too. If it wasn't for these blasted kids and their dogs. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The evil of the river. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. Great power comes great responsibility. Yes. So we've been doing Westerns by the Decade since uh, since we started this podcast. And uh, in between our weekly minisodes, we have longer form monthly episodes. Or at least we're trying to. Anyway. Yes. Um, so this is the 1960s film that we watched. And uh, we watched it back in December. and then we took Was it really? It was the first week of December. Okay. And then we took a break for the holidays, busyness, yeah. all that good stuff. Right. So now we're getting back into the, the swing of things. In the saddle. There you yeah. go. Yeah. That's a much you more Western. You see what I did there? You planned that ahead. <laughs> well, just because I play this out in my head like five <laughs> times a day. Anyway. Um, so yeah, this is the Pop Story in Podcast. I'm Ben and that's Chris. And uh, please be sure to subscribe. And if you like the show, tell a friend. Uh, we would love to have some more listeners out there. Grace your ears with our dulcet tones, yeah. as we do. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Chris does a great job keeping those up to date. We have an Instagram and uh -huh. YouTube. Yes. And an email. New, new YouTube video coming soon. Oh, really? I have to say. Um, you didn't tell me. I'll, I'll just tease that on the podcast. Okay. That way it'll give me some motivation to finish it up. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we all need a little motivation. Yes, hence the coffee. Yes. So yeah, we're out there. You can send us an email, uh, and we'd love to hear your thoughts, and we will uh, read them out on the show. Westerns by the Decade. Ben. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Trying to get back into the zone yeah. for this episode. It takes a minute. Yeah, we'll get into it once we start talking about the movie. I imagine that's why you, you did the whole, like, listen to us. And yes. Where you can find us. Okay. Also, I want people to listen to us and find us. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> call, call me crazy. 
I think that's probably one of the big reasons we do this is so people will listen to us. Yeah, and hopefully enjoy it. Yeah, and learn to something, you know. Yeah. A little education. A little bit of knowledge. But I've been really excited about this episode, actually. Me too. Because when we watch this film, um, this is one of Ben's favorite westerns. It is. Um, favorite movies, really, I think, at all time. If I'm, if yeah, I'm it's, it's in the list. Yeah. And uh, so last time we did Rio Bravo, which was one of my favorite westerns, and Ben had never seen it before. Mm-hmm. And then this is one of your favorite westerns, and I had never seen it before watching it uh, for the first time with you, Ben, yeah. for this podcast. So I've been very excited about talking about it and letting Ben know, because I didn't tell Ben exactly how I felt that night that we watched this movie. Right. So he's been kind of on edge this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> about how does Be- how does Chris feel about this movie and what yeah, is he well, going to say about it's this It's such film? an important movie to me that uh, I I really needed to know your reaction. And we just had the, the experience where we watched uh, Alien. Yeah. Well, Alien's and a different animal it, altogether. It is a different animal altogether, but we, we had a major divergence of opinion there. And that was one of my yeah. favorite movies. And you liked it, but weren't all that crazy about it. I think it's fair to say. It's one of those, or we're talking about Alien at the moment, is, is one of those movies that you think about and think about and think, and it just grabs you even mm-hmm. after you leave the theater. And uh, days after we watched that together, I felt myself thinking about it and just like pondering it like, well, it just, it copies a lot from other sci-fi of the time. It does, it, yeah. But then you also think it stands up too. So what is the significance of this film? And I've, I found myself thinking like, it's... A horror film, and I, mm-hmm. I've not, uh, I've not watched a lot of horror films, so I was kind of thinking, well, what does this film do for the horror genre? I think it does more for the horror genre rather than the sci-fi one. Yeah, and so it's, it's not that I didn't like the movie, Ben. <laughs> it's just it's it's not my genre. Yeah, I'm that's not fair. Ex- expertise as much, but this movie, yes, this movie I did I found very interesting. I do have some critiques of it, and I think we'll talk about that maybe as we get into it. Um, but overall, I did like the film. I can't okay. say I un unrestrained or unrestrictedly love the film. There's certain reasons for that, um, but it is a very good film, and I uh-huh. do see where a lot of people are writing that it's revolutionary and it's sure uh, inventive, and, and what's the other word I'm looking for? Um, uh, one of our primary sources that we used in the research for this podcast, which I had more time than usual to do <laughs> um, over the holidays, uh, was W.K. Stratton's new book, which came out for the 50th anniversary in 2019. That's called the, I think it's just called The Wild Bunch, isn't it? Or is it The yeah. Making of The Wild it's Bunch? It's called The Wild Bunch. Um, and I think the subtitle is like The Making of yeah, it's kind of a Classic or something or other. Yeah, Making of Book. He uses a lot of superlatives. I'm afraid you, you made it through the book, <laughs> and I did not make it through the book. There was, I just got bogged down. Peckinpah Peck Scholarship in general uses a lot of superlatives. <laughs> uh, okay. It's, it's all very sort of, um, I discovered this in my research, it's very hagiographic. People who love... Uh, Peck and Paul want to elevate him to this status of he's the greatest director of all time and we love him and his he can do no wrong for us. So there's this kind of like um 
reverenced awe about about the Wild Bunch in particular. I think it had a very uh, very large impact. I think it's fair to say it's considered his his best film, is it? Usually, yeah. It's it's almost always at the top of the list. I think it's on the AFI 100 as well, although I couldn't tell you what position it holds currently. Is it? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. It might even be in the top 25, Chris. Well, I'm going to Google that now. <laughs> <laughs> should I do a, while you're doing that, should I do a, a summary? Yes, please, Ben. I think you should do the summary since it has been a while since I actually watched the film and you've seen it a few times if I'm not yeah. mistaken. So the uh, the Wild Bunch opens with a group of soldiers walking into a bank. And we realize uh, they ride past a group of children that are torturing uh, scorpions by throwing them into a colony of fire ants. Uh, and as they ride past this group, they help an old lady across the street. And then they go into the bank and pull out their guns and start robbing the bank. The leader cries out, if they move, kill them. And then there's a big screen that says, directed by Sam Peckinpah that particular moment we find out that this is the wild bunch in question a group of outlaws led by william holden's character pike uh and they uh they rob as they're robbing the bank they discover that a uh the railroad who has a lot of money invested in the bank has set this up as a trap and there's a group of uh snipers if you want to call them that bounty hunters (laughs) on the roof of the building across the street. But fortuitously, I guess you could say, uh, there's a temperance union parade, and the uh, the villains, or I guess the anti-heroes, Pike and his gang, use the temperance union as cover, or as cover to escape from the bank where they are pinned down by the bounty hunter fire. So right away you see that these... Uh, this bunch is indeed wild and kind of ruthless. They don't care about the innocent bystanders. Uh, they're just concerned with robbing the bank and getting away. Um, but also the railroad is kind of uh, a little bit ruthless too. They're, they kill just as many of the innocent town people, townspeople as the outlaws do. Uh, that's this, at this point, we're kind of introduced to um, Robert Ryan. Is that his name? Yeah. I'm blanking. The... the uh Thornton. That's his Thornton. Name. Deke Thornton. Yeah. Uh, Robert Robert Ryan's character, Deke Thornton, who was a former member of the gang, we've kind of led to understand. And he's on parole, and part of his assignment is to, to catch the Wild Bunch, his old gang. Uh, so he's kind of uh, assigned to give chase, and they are riding off with the money. He, uh, One of their gang gets left behind and killed. Uh, and another is fatally injured and then later killed by the leader. They take their loot back to their corral where they're hiding out, I guess. And there's an old man who's part of their gang watching the horses. Played by Edmund O'Brien. Yes. Excellent performance. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, I guess I should introduce the actors playing the gang at this point. There's uh, your Warren Oates and your Ben Johnson, who are part of the Peckinpah stock company. Uh, fantastic playing two brothers, the Gorch brothers. Then you've got your old man and uh, your leader, William Holden. And then his sidekick is Dutch, played by Ernest Borgnine, in one of, I think, his better roles. Wouldn't you agree? I would say his his most famous roles. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I would probably call it probably his top 
top five. Definitely least. up there. I haven't seen the movie that he won the Oscar for, which was Marty. I've never seen Marty either. That's so that's shortcoming in our conversation. On my on my list after seeing this. But yeah, they get back and they open the bags of gold that they think are gold, and they turn out to be silver washers. They're not kind silver. Of, they're they're uh, yes. pig iron, cast iron. Well, Just plain old washers. Yeah. And uh, this, of course, leads to disappointment and frustration, but eventually to hilarity as they start to see the funny side of it. I think oh, I, I skipped over one of the gang members. You're forgetting someone. A very important gang member. Yes. Jamie Sanchez's character, um, Angel. Yes. Angel is Mexican from Mexico. Uh, the rest of the group are uh, white, Caucasian. All, they're all white, you know. And I, I guess he's kind of the young one of the group, too. The others are all kind of middle-aged or older. Yeah, he's uh, much younger than the others. He seems to kind of come from uh, this revolutionary Mexico, while the others seem to be much more, I guess, much more the Civil War ge- uh, generation mm-hmm. uh, that came from the Americas, uh, the Americas. So realizing that they have no uh they have no cash resources from this costly hold up, they cross the Rio Grande and head for Angel's Village. Uh and it's in Angel's Village that they uh formulate their next strategy, which I believe was to go to the um the general that kind of rules that province because they hear that he needs some work done. Uh, but this general also raided the village, kidnapped Angel's wife, and in general caused a lot of havoc. So there's a, there's a lot of history that goes into this movie, uh, a lot of backstory on the Mexican Revolution. Um, yes. If uh, you want to touch on any of that at any point, feel um, free. <laughs> I'm. N- it's not the decade that we're talking about. I've not been a big uh, big scholar into it, although there is a great podcast out there called Revolutions. Yes. Uh, that I listen to. And they have, uh, I think it's like a twenty-part series on the Mexican Revolution. Yeah. So I recommend that. So to check out anything of that, that for a, a thorough explanation. And also Stratton's book covers a little bit of it. Just Stratton's book covers uh, a little bit of it. Yeah. Um, but the basic idea is that these generals in power under the kind of uh, regime in place, Pancho Villa, is a contemporary of this uh, these events. Uh, and the the general's not very well liked, of course, because he's doing these raids. General but Mapache. They, but they decide to uh, to go to him anyway and see if they can get some work. Uh, so they leave the village in kind of a, I don't know what you would call it. It's a processional. The villagers yeah. sing to them and hand them flowers, and it's almost a funereal kind uh, of yeah, atmosphere. Yeah, it's a very somber farewell yeah. after uh, a short stay. It's, I, I think that's an interesting picture considering they, yeah. they barely know these guys and they're like, well, we had a good party last night, so yes, so long and hope all goes well. In Mapachi's uh, camp encampment, I guess you could say, it's uh, it's a little bit more permanent than that, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's a permanent structure. It's sort of ramshackle and falling down, but he's enforced it with a ton of troops. So the gang enter and behave somewhat peacefully, 
but they're kind of concerned because they're surrounded by all these troops. Yeah. Uh, so it's a bit of a tense situation from the get-go. Ernest Borgnine makes an interesting comment on the difference between them, the outlaws, and the the soldiers. He goes, uh, "Well, at least we don't we don't hang nobody." <laughs> <laughs> um. So there's kind of that juxtaposition of the different kinds of uh, evil that they've perpetrated, our antiheroes and the uh, the Mexican troops. So they're they're in this tense situation, and um, when Angel spies his wife, and she they have a conversation in Spanish, which is not subtitled, but you get very much I think the idea of what's going on. Uh, she's decided that she wants to stay with the general. She wants to be with the general, uh, perhaps because it makes her feel safe. Uh, so she basically betrays Angel in favor of the more powerful general. And she goes to the general and starts kissing him and displaying her affection. And this uh, enrages Angel, who draws his firearm in the midst of this uh, large group of potentially hostile soldiers and shoots his former wife through the heart as she sits on the general's chest or general's lap. You can imagine this endears their our anti-heroes. Yes. <laughs> to all the general's men. <laughs> They're quite peeved. Guns are drawn, but uh, nobody is injured except for the, the woman who's shot. Uh, and the general, once uh, once some conversation has been had and tempers cool a little bit, everybody breathes a sigh of relief and the general kind of agrees to, to take these men back and discuss his plan, this job that he wants them to do. So he uh, he takes them back and they have uh, they stay and carouse in his care. They have uh, some wine and some food and uh, that they meet the German generals who are kind of uh, assisting him. Yeah, this, yeah, this is taking place in, in 19, was it 1917, I think. It was right before the U.S. enters World War One. Yes. And this is, I guess, just going on a historical note, kind of playing into the, the, the Zimmerman telegram mm -hmm. uh, where Germany's talking to Mexico, trying to get them into the war. So they're talking to Mexico, thinking, well, we can open up another front uh, in the United States. Yes, and also introducing some technology, like an automobile for right. the general. So they're kind of wooing... You kind of see the Germans wooing yes. the Mexican uh, government at that time. So uh, Mapache's army needs some more firearms. And they found out through their spies that a shipment of firearms is traveling through a certain route in uh, the southwestern United States just over the border. And they want the, uh, the Wild Bunch to steal the said firearms. And uh, Pike eventually agrees to go along with this and he negotiates to get angel back because angel was obviously imprisoned for his act of violence right uh although he does he, he accompanies them on the on the raid he does so yeah. they they manage to negotiate and get him to rejoin their gang and they're they're given pretty much autonomy they don't have anybody sent with them to make sure that they do it right do yeah. it right they're they're allowed to go and uh do the job uh, 
Anything else important I need to cover from that scene? I don't think so. Not really. I mean, they, they pull it off. It actually works out quite nicely. They get the guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, they escape there, from There is an a, important point about that. A posse. Um, yeah, there was a posse waiting for them on the on the train. Which is also headed by Thornton, who kind of yes. guesses where they're going to hit next. He has all the bounty hunters. And then there's also a, a troop. A contingent of troops. A contingent of very, very young. In, young and inefficient troops. Well, untrained, really. They're, yes. They're barely considered soldiers kind of thing. <laughs> very raw recruits. And I think that's why you look at Thornton's face in the scene, you go like, yeah, I'm not going to bring them. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of begs the question, how much uh, how much did the railroad know that the Wild Bunch were going to do this job? How much did they know about Mapache? Did they leak the knowledge that the um, the guns were going to be on this particular shipping lane I guess in order to set another trap? I guess they're not very specific. But they don't the explain there. the details. Uh, the only scene I can remember is that uh, Thornton guesses. It seems like Thornton kind of knows what's going to happen. There. Mm-hmm. He just guesses that that would be the next move that they would make. I have to say it's a it's a pretty spectacular robbery sequence it is. of events. The uh, the train stops for uh, at a water tower, and the gang silently basically creep on board, uh, detach the passenger cars, which involves backing the train up very slowly and a very short distance, detach the passenger cars, and then take off with the guns, then unload the guns into a wagon further down the track as the posse uh, is pursuing them. And then they blow the bridge. Yes. I was going to say they sent the train into reverse and oh, destroyed the they passenger do. car. I forgot about that part. <laughs> they, they do. that. But then they head for the border, and there's a bridge across the Rio Grande into Mexico. Which sets up a really great special effects scene. Yes. Yeah. And then they, they set dynamite to the bridge, which explodes just as Thornton has his sights on... Uh, on Pike, our hero, I believe Holden's character. Oh. So yes, a rather spectacular stunt. Indeed, one of the uh, one of the most lauded in the film industry. I'm, I, I would can, say. I can imagine. So yeah. they uh, they have the guns, but Angel, whose village was raided, uh, wants to give some of the guns to uh, the Mexican revolutionaries who they, he supports. He uh, basically. Uh, negotiated with uh, with Ernest Borgnine and, and Holden's character mm-hmm. before the deal goes down. And so they kind of know he's getting a case of rifles, mm-hmm. but they don't realize <laughs> when. So uh, they kind of get robbed right across the border. They do, yeah. Um, Thornton survives the explosion of the bridge. He continues to pursue them with uh, the bounty hunters. I keep saying the bounty hunters. Uh, it's not very specific, but it's, uh, it's Struther Martin and L.Q. Jones. The, yeah, th- there's a couple other guys who survived too. Uh huh. They're not really the sharpest tools in the shed. They're not. They start shooting at the army, uh, in a in their befuddlement. Yeah. <laughs> Thornton continually laments the uh, ineptitude of his crew. But yes, so they uh, they have to play it very cool to keep uh, uh, Pike and his gr- crew have to keep it very cool. To prevent the Mexicans from, or the Mexican army rather, from stealing their, uh, the firearms and killing them in the process without paying them for the, for, for the their, deal, yeah. for their, in other words, they're very worried about a double cross. And it seems we're led to believe that this is a legitimate fear. So they strap, they load the wagon with the, the rifles and they strap dynamite to it. 
then they're ambushed in a uh, uh, canyon. But uh, they threaten to light the fuses and blow up the guns, and that's uh, seems enough to. That's labeled a, a smart move by the general's uh, assistant, yeah, lieutenant. I guess I should say. Seems um, to be like third in command or something. I something like that. Yeah. He's rather spectacular performance. I forget his, the actor's name who does it, but uh, pr- I, I was too, reading. Great old character actor, been in a lot of movies. Yeah, he was. Re- I was reading about him. I think he was trying to play the part like the bandits from Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yeah, I there's a lot of Treasure of Sierra Madre influence throughout here. If you've okay. seen that film, spoilers alert. So <laughs> sorry, we should just we need to get our permanent spoiler warning. <laughs> we do. Yeah, um, it's another great question. We should probably. Yeah, that we been should good talk about that. Talk about that one. Even harkening back to the washers, there's yeah. kind of a uh, parallel there with a scene in Tre- Treasure of Sierra Madre. Um, anyway. But yes, they start delivering the, the rifles in a roundabout way. They hide the rifles and tell them where they're buried, like one case at a time, and take their payments. And uh, They're in the process of doing this. Things are going well. There's a few flashbacks that tell us more about Thornton's relationship with Pike. Uh, Pike actually lost him due to incompetence. Thornton was captured due to Pike's incompetence. So there, Pike carries a lot of uh, guilt about that, and Thornton carries a lot of bitterness. Uh, but yes, as the final delivery arrangements are made, uh, Dutch and Angel ride into the camp... And the General Mapachi knows that Angel has uh, absconded with one of the cases of rifles for himself. And so they take him. So they take him. Uh, and uh, Dutch uh, doesn't do anything to stop them, rides off on his way. And he, uh, earlier in, during the train robbery, Angel actually saves Dutch. Dutch was falling to his demise under the wheels of the train and angel uh angel grabs him and pulls him out so there's kind of this pre-existing relationship there well there's a relationship with all of these guys yeah it's very interwoven and so uh they're all very interesting characters to me but yeah you uh the general has all the rifles except for that case that was stolen and he has a machine gun that wasn't supposed to be part of the shipment but they gave it to the general anyway there's a uh terrifying yet hilarious scene where they they try to operate it without putting it on a tripod yeah the german guy is like it needs a tripod and it goes on for a while too like the scenes of them shooting up their own uh encampment really, you know. <laughs> friendly fire he apparently masters it fairly well though eventually they do get the hang of it so uh yeah the the wild bunch is paid but one of their own has been taken, and they they ride kind of into town, I guess, to get some whiskey and women. That's true. And uh, they see angels being tortured, dragged behind the car. Uh, There's a kind of an important scene there where Pike tries to buy Angel back yes. at that point, and you can see kind of eating at him that Angel got captured again, mm-hmm. and uh, and the general won't do it. He won't, he won't give up his prize or yeah. prisoner and so they go i guess you call it a whorehouse <laughs> pretty much yeah and uh they try to forget their fallen comrade 
Although Dutch does not uh, partake. He doesn't. He sits outside and just kind of whittles mm-hmm. a little wooden knife or something. Yeah. You can definitely tell he's brooding. But there's a, there's a great scene where uh, Pike is kind of, it's post-coital, I guess you would say. Pike is uh, sitting there, his drinking the last of his whiskey, and he's come to the bottom of the bottle. And there's no dialogue in this scene between him and the uh, the Mexican lady that he's been with, but there's kind of a sense of longing, I guess you could say, in both of them for maybe a different life or a different chance um, that Pike, I guess, recognizes he might not have uh, since he's being pursued on every side. And he, uh, yeah, he, it's kind of a moment of decision for him. Then he turns to the rest of the gang and says, let's go, which is kind of his catchphrase. He says that a lot. Whenever they move from one story point to another, he's his. Uh, and Warren Oates' character here is one of the Gorch brothers kind of says, why not? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a great one of the great Warren Oates moments from this movie. So so they step out. Uh, it's, it's a very famous, but probably the most famous scene of the movie. Yes. They grab their weapons and they just start walking. And there's an excellent uh, musical accompaniment. This I love the score by Jerry Fielding. Jerry Fielding did this. I thought, was it a, a, uh, I thought they actually had a performer, someone in that uh, Peck and Paul knew from, from Mexico, to actually perform the guitar on this. Yeah, they did. In addition to, I think Fielding was the composer and then. And then he had he had this. this but there, there's also a lot of traditional Mexican folk music in it, so he was responsible for that. And I find and I'm glad you brought up the score because I find the score interesting because it's not very loud or flashy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of those things that just plays alongside it, and you just kind of ride yeah. it. You don't notice it that much. There's not a catchy if Magnificent you, Seven type it's theme not Magnificent song. Seven is not. Uh, it's uh, not few dollars more or uh-huh. good bad the ugly um that kind of bold music score yeah it's really just kind of soft along it's simple and subtle yeah um it's uh it's it's it's, it's not so many other films that you've seen in the past like high noon has this catchy ballad mm-hmm. or, yeah, even rio bravo has its own ballad yep played by perf- like very famous performers it just kind of just stays there mm-hmm um, that is one of the things I noticed while watching the film, and I just it left you wanting. Well, it just it was not what I was kind of hoping for. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I didn't hate it either. It was just kind of like okay, it's it's a little bit different. It's not like your regular action film uh, yeah. kind of music to it. It's kind of juxtaposition, juxtaposition. Yes, that's the word, uh, where you have like soft music to a very violent movie. Yeah. And they continue walking on, and they end up in the general's hacienda. In the, in the center of the, uh, the enemy's camp. And uh, Pike, the, the general's crew have been celebrating, so they're somewhat hungover, possibly still drunk. There's a lot of carousing going on. Uh, and the general kind of staggers to his feet. He says, what do you want? I thought we got rid of you. And uh, I should note that the general is played by um, Emilio Fernandez, I want to say, who's a, a great Mexican director in his own right. 
directed several classic classic movies from the golden age of Mex- Mexican cinema. Uh, but they insist that they, Pike's gang insists that they want Angel back. So he, the general grabs Angel and says, here, I'll give him to you. And he cuts his, uh, uh, his bonds. His bonds on his hands. And then he cuts his throat. And when he cuts Angel's throat, the uh, the gang open fire and kill him. And then there's there's a moment of kind of stunned silence where they're all standing there back to back in the middle of this crew and everyone's shocked that they killed they actually killed the general who kind of seemed immortal up to this point because there's a there's a brief scene where he's raided the general is raided by Pancho Villa and there's bullets flying around him but the the general just stands there in the middle of it so he he has kind of an immortal vibe about him and that woman's shot literally off his lap <laughs> <laughs> so there's this stunned silence that the general was killed but nobody uh nobody makes a move to subdue the outlaws they're just kind of stand there afraid and there's a there's a sense that they might have gotten away with this they might have they might be able to escape and they kind of laugh at their luck and then pike uh angrily out of some uh, unspoken emotion shoots the german general and this sparks uh a very bloody very elaborate very uh intense final fight scene this is probably one of the greatest movie climaxes uh ever it's it's the model for the the action movie showdown climax sequence yeah it uh it definitely has a tremendous emotional impact but just a, a visceral uh physical response as well it, there's a lot of fast cutting and slow motion and which is one of peck and paws uh calling cards he does calling cards in other parts of the film as well whenever yeah. there's a, a gunfight there's always slow motion and then quick cuts but this is uh this is kind of the 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 fulfill- ultimate fulfillment of that it is it is um so even though there's only four members of the gang uh at this point the old man having been lost in the desert uh they managed to slaughter most of mapache's men but lose their own lives in the process so there's no survivors of the wild bunch uh, the final men to fall or the final men to fall i guess should i should say is dutch and pike they fall at the same time uh, i think Pike dies a little sooner because Dutch sees him go down. Yes. And then uh, Dutch makes his final final move. Ernest Borgnoid's uh, most famous death scene, I guess, yeah. in his career. And he's just dying. He says, Pike. <laughs> Pike. Uh, he says it like three or four times. Mm-hmm. Which give, I, him, give him hell, Pike. It's, I just give, think that's a very interesting part of that. Mm. Um, it's a It's a chilling scene. And it just makes me interested in in Dutch's character. Like he follows, he would follow Pike through hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess he he did Bill, but anyway. Um, but uh, but he's such such devotion to to Pike, and it's just I don't know if they really dug into that as much as they could have. Mm-hmm. It's, it's there's a lot left there unexplored. Uh, yeah, there it's is. Very interesting. I think it's also important to note in this scene that uh, the the kind of the final the the blows that really 
cripple pike are delivered by a woman first who um he doesn't shoot he spares her and then she turns around and picks up a gun and shoots him in the back uh and then of course he kills her uh, before he dies and then the final killing blow is delivered by a child like a messenger boy uh who has picked up a gun in the midst of the firefight and if i'm not mistaken that's the same same messenger boy that gives the message to to mapache i heard conflicting stories on that i thought it was the same okay Um, but one source that i read said that it was not it's interesting so it was an older source so it's possible they didn't i mean obviously when it was written it was i think 1979 this book came out sam pack and paw by doug kinney Mm -hmm. Uh, when that book came out there uh there wasn't a means to rewatch it on home video right so it's possible that it is the same but I can't confirm that it is or isn't. In any case, it's meant to represent the same thing. Right. Um, so that th- at this point, after pretty much everybody has died, Thornton and his gang of bounty hunters come back, and Thornton finds the dead corpses of the men he was sent to capture. He takes Pike's gun. He does. Yeah. Pike's six-shooter, which uh, stayed in the holster. Pike, having used a 9 millimeter for most of the firefight. Uh, yeah, so Thornton catches up to them. The bounty hunters take the corpses. L.Q. Jones and Struther Martins, wonderful comedic relief characters. Very dark humor. <laughs> Very dark humor. Very dark humor. They take the, they take the corpses and head off, and Thornton de- declines to join them. And they say, well, these corpses are going to start rotting. Don't you want to come and get your reward? And he says no. So he stays down in Mexico. And a little while later, we hear gunshots in the distance. And it's kind of uh, strongly implied, if not confirmed, that the, uh, although it happens off screen, that our uh, bounty hunters were killed and ambushed by the locals. And not just the locals, but uh, our old man friend, Edmund O'Brien. Yes, he survived his stay in the desert and joined up with Pancho Villa and the revolutionaries. And he invites Thornton to do the same. And Thornton takes him up on it. Thornton takes him up on it, and they ride away with the final uh, closing line. It ain't like it used to be, but it'll do. And they literally ride into the sunset at the end of this film. They do. And then they they transition nicely into... um, some footage from the procession that they had before. So that's the conclusion of the wild bunch. This film I really liked because as I'm watching this film, I am reminded of movies that will be made in the future. Mm. And I think you touched on it a little earlier when you were talking about the, the plot of the film is that this is a kind of a, uh, template for future action films this is a proto action film if you will Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of one of the things i thought was really cool about watching this film is that revolutionary maybe maybe not but it's definitely plays a huge impact for future films yeah Uh, and future westerns because i was reminded of uh, actually of all movies transformers Mm -hmm. uh, while watching this movie because of the quick cuts and how fast the action sequences are i remember watching transformers which has nothing to do with westerns, but yeah. how fast the action sequences are in that film. Yeah. And you kind of see 
well, that has its roots back to even to the Wild Bunch mm-hmm. in 1969. At the time, it was the movie that it had more cuts in it, like physical cuts, than any other movie made before it. Yeah, yeah. Documented. There might have been some other films that aren't documented. Or it also reminded me of, uh, of course, Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't it takes know. Takes a lot of influence there. I imagine that he had been influenced at some point. There's just so much uh, blood and shooting going on in movies like Django Unchained and The Hateful yeah. Eight, and I mean, those kind of those kind of films that he does. That's one of the things that this movie was was a big splash about. This movie when it came out was the violence. It's very violent. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of blood. Um, and when I was reading up on it, trying to to catch up for the film, uh, I was like, oh, well, this is not that violent. But then I remembered this is sixty nine, yeah, <laughs> and I'm watching movies from the two thousands, so this yeah, is the, very violent. The standards the standards have changed, but for the time it was considered very violent. It it's is. interesting now. That's not so much a big part of the conversation surrounding the movie as it yeah. used to be. So the things that I don't like about the movie. Are you ready? As I'll ever be. <laughs> what didn't Chris like about the movie? What will Ben say? Will they survive this rift in their friendship? Tune in next time to part two of The Wild Bunch. Thanks for listening to the Popstorian podcast. Be sure to subscribe. You can find us online at popstorian.com or on Facebook and Twitter. Tune in next time for more of the history of popular culture.